This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Hey folks, welcome back. You're in the workplace. I'm Peter Capelli, professor of management here at the Wharton School. Dan is at the spa again this week having a revision on a procedure that possibly did go quite so well. I'm sure they'll get it right this time. Early in the year. You just keep trying. You know, yep. you lose stuff each time. Yeah, but you but, pick you know, stuff up. You pick stuff up. There you really? go. <laughs> Excellent. With me is Greg Shea, longtime faculty member here at the Wharton School. And uh, we are going to be talking in this half hour about everyone's favorite topic, which is performance appraisal systems. Yay! Hands are going up all over saying, give me more of that. In fact, could we do these daily because they're so much fun, right? So with us to talk about this is Brittany Bond, who is finishing her Ph.D. at MIT in the Sloan School of Management and has some interesting results on how this is working in one particular case. Brittany, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is our pleasure. So, Brittany, when you started your Ph.D. program, did you ever imagine that you'd end up studying performance appraisals? Is this uh, was no, not, not your not your <laughs> life's work? <laughs> not not performance appraisals in particular, but I knew I wanted to study the hidden factors that can shape career trajectories Ooh. in unexpected ways. So, for for those reasons, this isn't too far out of the original lane. Okay, that's yeah. good. So uh, tell us a little bit about the the topic. So in this particular company that you studied in some detail, tell us what's going on in the company. Sure. So I started um, an embedded stay. So I had my own desk as a researcher within the company in November of 2016. And Ooh. so while I was, yeah, so I've, I've had some nice long access and have been able to watch both the systems and process and their outcomes evolve over time. So let me, let me ask you about that yeah. here. It's a, a pretty unusual experience, uh, not the idea, but these days researchers typically don't do that. It takes too much time. What, <laughs> what kinds of things did you learn? Uh, did, and first of all, did the employees around you know that you were uh, there as a spy, I mean a, uh, an, just an observer? Um, or did they? Th- did you have like a job there? Nope. Uh, it, it was eyes wide open in terms of I was there to do my PhD research okay. and ask hard questions. And the okay. opportunity came about um, through an executive MBA student of my advisors. Mm-hmm. So it was a nice seamless connection. So Roberto Fernandez teaches um, organizational processes, and if his students have interest in like double clicking on questions, you know, there's this opportunity to um, kind of investigate together. Okay. So it was in that spirit that I, I got this kind of access, uh, which really helped because we were able to find questions that were of both interest. So I got more access as the questions evolved because they were equally interested in finding out the answers okay. as well. Before we get to that, um, what did you learn about this company just hanging around there? I mean, did you learn, like, you know, who's stealing the milk from the refrigerator? Because uh, if you think about it, right, to be in a company and not have to actually do a real job in the company, you're spending the day, a lot of the day, watching stuff, too, right, as a new person coming in. Anything surprise you about the world of work from just being able to sit back and watch it? Um, it goes to some of the theme of my research, but the turnover constantly surprises me that I see. Yeah. Um, so people, you know, it's a competitive landscape. They're in a competitive industry. And it seems um, one thing that's a little unexpected is these top performers that get to this kind of organization seem always on the lookout for 
the next big thing in oh. terms of their own oh. opportunities, it seems. Yeah. All right. So people are zipping uh, out attrition problems. Yeah. Um, okay. And mm. there's definitely ways that that's minimized at an organizational level and team level. But that was definitely something I didn't expect to see so clearly or starkly. Okay. So tell us what you were looking at and uh, then a little bit about what you found. Sure. Um, so starting in November of that year, um, I entered right when the company itself was gearing up to do their performance evaluation season, really. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, front and foremost to the managers and everyone I was asking, like, what keeps you up at night? What would be, you know, a really interesting research question on your end? And when I heard more about how they execute their performance evaluation system and also the data that they collect, I got really excited about what I could potentially tease in terms of causal arrows for those career concerns that I was interested in Okay. Um, between the evaluations given to their employees and then uh, outcomes later on, because there's actually a very fine margin between who gets the uh, rare or scarce exceptional ratings and who just misses it. Um, And oftentimes there's nothing distinguishing, you know, employees on one side of that or the other. So let's just pause here uh, and see how many folks who are listening have seen something (laughs) similar, right? So this is a place where they had a forced distribution, right, forced ranking. So what percentage of people were allowed to get the top rating? So before the performance evaluation season started, you know, the executive said this year it's going to be 20% of our company will get to go home at the end of the day with an exceptional or an outstanding rating. Okay. So 20%. And this was not, these were not uh, necessarily jobs like sales where performance was something that was quantitative and perfectly measurable, right? Correct. So um, lots of companies do the details a little differently. In the organization I studied, they made the decision to do this uniformly across all functions. So the sales force actually was included. Okay. Um, So you're correct. They they do have those really hard metrics that they tack quarterly and even uh, more frequently. But they were going to go through the same performance evaluation and getting that fine line at 20%, just like the scientists in this organization that I study okay. and, the, you know, across the board functions. Right. So in those jobs, harder to draw that line. Right. Okay. So what did you find? So it turns out, um, as you might expect, that these employees, especially the very uh, high-performing top performers of the company, that they were really sensitive to whether or not they achieved that nominal distinction of exceptional. Okay. So uh, identifying the people that were at risk of getting it because they looked exactly like the employees that earned the exceptional. Okay. Um, and they own, these employees that didn't get it only didn't get it for reasons that are essentially coin tosses at very high levels mm. of the organization to so, get to that predetermined 20%. Right. So if you looked objectively at whatever you could see about their performance, uh, the people on one side of this 20% line in the top 19% didn't look any different than people in the 21st percentile who just missed it. That's, right, that's the right. story, Looking right? at them ex ante, there'd be no way to predict which one would get it and which one wouldn't. Okay. Uh, and so then you could see how those people respond who just missed it, right? Right. 
Okay. Exactly. And what did you find? And so what I find is that uh, looking 18 months after this, whether you get it or you don't, that those who just missed it, their exit rate goes up 50%. 50%. Yeah, they're more likely to exit the organization than, you know, their twins that got the rating. And it's also like a 70% increase in odds of exit, but it's pretty high. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. So uh, 50% is a big number uh, Mm -hmm. in in the world of employment. And the punchline for folks who just tuned in and... Now we can take their eyes off the road. Uh, is that when you have these forced ranking systems, uh, the people who could be very good performers and just sort of miss the top grade take it very hard and are inclined to quit. Yep. Yeah. Now, how about people who are a little further down? Do you see the same effect for them? What happens to people who are kind of average performers and they get average? rankings, are they inclined to quit? Is it just the going through this forced ranking process or is it being just on the cusp that's the issue? So uh, two answers to that, and that is the this um, jump in exit rate, increased odds of exiting, it's a huge jump just for this population right under that exceptional margin. Okay. So that's compared to other exceptionals, uh, that the ones that got it, it's compared to the whole company pooled together or looking as compared to those who get solid. Ooh. So, yeah, okay. so this is like a very strong, mm-hmm. sensitive treatment effect. Um, so in one answer, it's, no, this is unique to that uh, marginal population. Okay. Um, but in terms of how solid employees here kind of react to their ratings and their ratings over time. That's a question I'm actually still exploring yeah. and um, have have a way to do that, but that's still in development. Yeah. So are there are there other boundaries like between acceptable to marginal or yeah. some of the, that the uh, the cusp is particularly important? Yeah. Did they have a lower bound, for example? You had bad guy and yeah. they had to have Why 20. are you still yeah. here? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no. And I think that boundary is actually really important in the story about why this top margin really matters to the top employees. Okay. And that's because um, in this company and for the period I observed, both starting in 2016 and with historical data I have access to, traditionally managers have not had to force the distribution at the bottom end. And so as you would expect, if you're not forced to identify those, you know, why are you still here type people, mm-hmm. um, and it's understandable why managers would be reluctant to do that. If there's nothing holding them to it, mm-hmm. there's going to be little incentive to make those tough calls. Okay. And you see that. So fractions of percentages will get these sort of unacceptable ratings, yeah. which artificially, if you play out the log- logic, will inflate um, or kind of deflate what it means to be a solid employee. So oh, the right. company sees right. their average employee being right. actually exceptional compared to the rest of the industry. Right. But inside the company, if you see somebody who got the same rating as you, but yep. you really think like, mm-hmm. listen, I put in just so many more uh, quality hours, mm-hmm. there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg, uh, I'm thinking when I hear this, some other things, I'm thinking hypo and low po, right? <laughs> 
Uh, and uh, for the benefit of folks who are not uh, deep into the world of human resource stuff. And they're thinking ALPO. <laughs> yeah, ALPO. And you're thinking ALPO. That's the wrong way to go. So a high potential is the designation that you are somebody we have great expectations for. And that is often a very small proportion. And of we'll invest in you. Yeah, right. Going mm-hmm. forward, you know, it's maybe 5% or less. Yeah. And then everybody else is a LOPO, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So we might imagine exactly the same thing happens here. If you're a very good performer and you just miss the cusp, uh, then quite the same thing would happen. So It, Brit- it turns it into a binary world, yeah, which is not yeah. the way most people experience. Success, failure. There right. you go. So, Brittany, when you presented this to the company, what's their response? What did they tell you? So I think, or do they like, not? Do they not know about it yet? And they're no, just no, they're just they listening know, yeah. now. <laughs> no, <laughs> again, we're we're eyes wide open. With okay. Each other. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. And so I, I the common uh, reaction isn't too much surprise that top performers care about earning and receiving that nominal distinction. I think they were surprised at the power and the yeah. effect it was having. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, did it change how they behaved after this? Did they say, oh, well, have, or what? Yeah. No. Uh, so, it's really exciting to still have access in this nice research relationship because they are changing their ways <laughs> oh, with their wow. course distribution design. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you yeah. get you and you get to study this change. Well, that's exactly. interesting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so they, didn't, they did not like it. <laughs> yeah. So, their first reaction was not to say, get rid of Brittany. <laughs> no, Which in many they, companies would be the reaction. <laughs> Let's bury no, luckily, her. Luckily, I mean... <laughs> we know how to deal yeah. with this problem. Right. <laughs> right. They, they took a very scientific perspective. Right. And, uh, just, yeah. Right. Very good. So, folks, just to recap what we're doing here, we're talking to Brittany Bond, who's finishing her Ph.D. at MIT in the Sloan School. She's done an interesting study looking at forced ranking performance appraisal distributions, and we're talking about uh, what those do. And let's see if we could draw in some listeners on this. If it's Thursday when you're listening, we're live. If you've got a performance appraisal program which still does this kind of forced ranking, uh, give us a call. We want to know what you think about, well, first of all, Brittany's conclusion that uh, people who don't make the top category, the top bucket, but are pretty close, just really get irritated by this and inclined to leave. Anyway, give us a call. Here's our number, 1-844-WHARTON. There's an H in Wharton. you got to find it. Or it's 844-942-7866. Greg, uh, oh, you have something to say in your uh, own. I have a question. Carry on. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so given the different types of or parts of the organization, back to Peter's point about the uh, some are more quantitatively oriented than others. Did you find any difference in the demographics inside of those parts of the organization that got to the top uh, um, and had were quant- in quantitatively based measurements versus those where it seemed to be more subjective about uh, who got to the top 20%? They didn't have the same quantitative uh, measures to determine that? So I think part of the reason why they were receptive to figuring out how to fix these issues was they had an innate sense mm. that for the main product of their company, that maybe, you know, giving legal and business support functions the same 20% allotment as like the critical to the core business, yeah. like scientists, R&D, might not make sense, especially mm-hmm. if you can imagine... a a team, a unit of like 10 
employees or scientists coming with like a major breakthrough, you would want to give that team equal credit or you might yeah. risk some interesting internal right. politicking. So mm -hmm. um, the answer is no. In my study period, they uh, did this forced distribution almost nice uniformly across hmm. the organization. They did mm -hmm. it intentionally that way yeah. um, hmm. and came out. Yeah, with what you would see if you were to do that. Yeah. So uh, the, the follow-up is that <clears throat> there are um, a number of studies that indicate that the further you get from quantitative measures, um, the the more likely it is that other factors end up influencing the rater's choice. Uh, so uh, you see uh, fewer women, fewer uh, minorities. You mean if, bias. If, yeah, right. right. If the mm -hmm. person who's doing the evaluation yeah. is an older white male, for example, yeah. right? Absolutely. Yep. So I have two, two answers to that for um, the reason why I don't have anything that predicts ex ante who gets bounced or not is that in all of the meetings about calibrating from that uh, nominated set to that 20% line, they have uh, a person in the room making sure there are no expressions of biases in this choice, that it's really about the work, things that are as quantifiable or objective as possible. Mm -hmm. And then also they do these calibration type sessions level by level, and each level is able to let the next level that gets it higher up in the organization make the tougher calls. But what ends up happening is those tougher calls get escalated and escalated up until it's these very senior people who really have no direct line of sight to the employees they're uh, mm -hmm. thinking about. And it ends up being a coin flip. So they they first look at, well, do we have any managers who have more than one person nominated? So at least that manager can deliver an exceptional. So you have this sort of within mm -hmm. manager effect that is um, one determinant, if, if anything. But um, it's sort of an interesting and nice feature in the setting that mm -hmm. there isn't these biases that really jump out. Yeah. Um, I think Greg and I are, th are thinking, boy, there's a million ways that biases oh, sure. come into these studies. I mean, come into the uh, to the results, right? Uh, in terms of the assignments people are given, in terms of how you evaluate the success, in terms of how you weight them, all that kind of stuff. But let's go back to forced ranking here a little bit. And uh, talk about that just for a little bit more. And folks, again, if you've got this in your organization uh, still, we'd like to hear from you. Give us a sense of what happens in your company when these ratings come out. one 844 Wharton or 1-844-942-7866. Here's what strikes me about this, Greg. And that is that um, I think these decisions about whether to use forced rankings or something else almost always... They are driven by some, the senior executive team going with their gut. They've just got a sense that this is a, the right way to do things, or if they do it differently, it's their sense. They're almost never informed by evidence or by, uh, you know, even in some ways sort of careful thought about it, right? It's just, you know, particularly forced rankings, the idea that uh, competition is good and uh, forced rankings and among people, it's like sports, right? It's like golf. And in the corporate world especially, golf, very important. So in the workplace, it's like golf, and this is how golf works. So this is why our teams should work this way as well. Well, I think there's also a fantasy about 
uh, how objective these things are. Yeah, um, right. been working with performance appraisal systems for 40 years or something. And uh, I remember one engineering firm where they literally calculated out their, their ratings to three decimal places. <laughs> right. And so uh, <laughs> working with them, I said, so... I got the numbers. Yeah. You know, where do they come from? Yeah. And of course, then what they produced was this More totally numbers? subjective <laughs> oh. list of. I said, "Well, <laughs> yeah. great numbers, False precision, but, but built on <laughs> sand." But yeah, but we got three decimal places. Yeah. Well, that's probably right. not really the yeah. point. That's not the right? point, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, so the interesting thing about forced rankings, in particular, and Brittany, I want to ask you in a second why you think these folks still still do them. They were enormously popular. 20 years ago? 10 years ago? How long ago? You well, think? they certainly got a lot of press through G and Jack Welch. Yeah, Jack Welch so. was a big believer in them. and Throughout the bottom 10% yeah, or whatever and, it was. and his view was that not only do you do forced rankings, but you fire the bottom group. And the assumption there is not just that forced rankings are good, but that there are just good people and bad people. So the way you get better as a company is get rid of the bad people and hire in more random people. And I think the evidence is pretty clear it didn't work. GE gave that up the year after Jack Welch left in 2004, right? So there's all kinds of things that are lousy about forced rankings. Maybe the most common one, best known one, is that if you've got a team doing stuff and you've got individuals in the team competing against each other, this is not going to play nicely. Just watch NBA basketball, for example. <laughs> well, it really just depends on the nature of the, of the team or the game being played. It's great in baseball because you yeah. don't have to have a lot of interaction yeah. with each other. Right. So reward the individual, give them lots of money, and get me the best players. Yeah. Right. Uh, that isn't exactly the formula yeah. when it comes right. to basketball. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's why golf is kind of exceptional, right? There's no team. <laughs> a golf team is well, They try. Is quirky. They try yeah. to, you know, team play. I was in high school captain of the golf team. And you know what my responsibilities were? I think I had to sign the card at the end of the... Uh, that was it. <laughs> right? There was no rallies before. There was no huddle and <laughs> let's go team kind of thing going on there. So, uh, Brittany, do you have a sense about why these folks uh, did it this way? Did they? Was this kind of a best practice thing? They just thought everybody does this or what? Sure. It starts, I think, from two points. And one is they want to reward their top performers oh, yeah. appropriately, you know, by mm -hmm. merit. And so in one sense, it's saying, okay, we've had, you know, these profits this year. How do we share that back to the employees that drove that in a way that represents their contribution? That's definitely like the main driver of mm -hmm. doing this and tying the bonuses. I should okay. mention um, this one key feature of my study in particular, and that is the managers themselves have discretion with their bonus pool. So they're actually trying to overcompensate, having to deliver these messages of, oh, you were you just missed exceptional oh. by giving those sort of balanced employees bigger bonuses than mm. the uh, employees on their team that get to earn the exceptionals. So this bigger oh, Whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa. Can you uh, just make sure I get this? So sure. uh, Greg gets the exceptional. I just mm -hmm. miss it, but I get the bigger bonus payment. Exactly. Oh, very nice. I really resent you, Peter. Thank my, my resentment is growing as we talk about this. <laughs> oh, so well, that's nice. So you get the, and uh, it would be nice if you got to choose. I'll be gone in the next 18 months. <laughs> right, I know. Oh, yeah, I can imagine the dynamic. Could you imagine choosing, you know? Okay, what do you want? What Which prize do you want here? Do you want the 
label or do you want the money, right? Right. <laughs> and so in some sense, at least managers are freed from having to pick, you know, amongst their children because it, it comes yeah. down from above. But... but it's almost like saying, you know, I know we're about to do something stupid here. Yeah. But so let's see if I can pay you off in advance so you're not pissed off. That that's, re- that's, that's really well. I mean, talk it's about a mixed great? message, right? <laughs> it's beautiful. I mean, yeah. when do you say congratulations? Under what circumstance <laughs> yeah. do you say congratulations? Right, right. Hey, yeah, can I exactly. just can I just miss the? Yeah, uh, I'd like this year. I'd like to be in the twenty twenty first percentile. Right, because I really Thank need you very the much. Money. <laughs> Things aren't going well with the so, mortgage. So, uh, so, Brittany, back to what do you think uh, they right. were thinking when they did this, or why they did it, Jim? So, I I don't I think they um, are recognize the mistake of what this does to teams for that exact reason. Okay, yep. um, and so moving forward, there's going to be a first stage to this kind of calibration way of doing performance evaluations, and that Mm -hmm. is teams and functions and units first are going to rate themselves as a a piece of that function. So did we have an outstanding year? Did we have an exceptional? Or, you know, were we business as normal, you know, beating the market, but doing our job? And then there will be hard conversations about that across the functions to make sure that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to drive how many outstandings and exceptionals they're going to nominate within function. So they're mm-hmm. going to try to, okay. to have more alignment there with the intent of, you know, if you have a whole team that just had a banner year and knocked out of the park, right. this way there should be now more space to let that whole team get the reward that mm-hmm. the company says mm-hmm. they, they should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you had a couple pieces of advice uh, regarding performance appraisal processes, general or generally, or performance management systems generally, um, whether they're specific to your study or more generally from your interest in this, uh, what would be the couple pieces of of closing advice you'd offer? Sure. So I think uh, this mechanism and the reason why it hurts these exceptional employees so much is it happens with a very stark comparison. So these are small teams working for the same manager, and they know everyone's going to know that they were solid this year. And they know the other person that was at risk of being the exceptional, so they got it and you know, mm. I didn't. And it's really just this, like, very tight relative comparison that seems to be driving this reaction. Yeah. So one more, uh, Brittany, on this, and, and yeah. that is clarifying. Did they do pe- they know what everybody else got, or is this just scuttlebutt? Where they right. Know? It's not on, you know, any, like, leaderboard or anything like that. But people, it's an open workspace, by and large, open labs, oh. and scientists. So mm-hmm. they they know who's who, what's been accomplished by whom over the year. Um, and so they they have a very nice sense of what people are, where they are in sort of the hierarchy of performance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have team meetings and, and whatnot. So it's not public in the sense that you can go and, like, look at a display board, sure. but from all of my interviews um, with people regarding this, it, it's pretty clear that they know who got the exceptional. The manager knows. Everyone knows. Manager knows. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, like, for example, if you get the little letter saying you're an exceptional, you just leave it on your desk Oh uh, no! I mean, all year. You so just I start bringing in flash your swag. That's yeah. All. Right. 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 No, it's only really if, if you don't yeah. make it. I know. That's flag. what I mean. Yeah. Right. Then, well, the real winner's over there. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. No, I mean, it, this might be another really interesting feature, too, is um, I've had the opportunity to interview what it's like about getting the exceptionals. And nobody even really seems to enjoy 
being the exceptional employee because they know how bad <laughs> it feels the other guy oh, and it man. doesn't feel right. So yeah. they, nobody gets to really enjoy it here. Yeah. And, they, oh, and they're making lesser bonuses than right. that guy, too. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. You know, all this goes back, Greg, to equity theory. You remember that mm-hmm. from the 1970s? And, and that was... Our colleagues in organizational psychology realize that people care an awful lot about comparisons, and they have perceptions of fairness based on how much they think they're contributing and what happens to them as compared to other people. So no surprise that if you think you're doing at least as well as the person next to you and they get something better than you do, you're irritated by it. You know, among my MBA class over the years— Every year I've been given the same midterm exam. You'd think they get it right by now, but it's an essay exam. We're asking them about their last job, right? Mm -hmm. And the modal reason, uh, no, not just the modal, but by far the majority reason uh, why people leave is exactly this, that they feel that other people got stuff that they deserved and didn't get. Right. So these questions of fairness are are just huge. Mm -hmm. Brittany, thanks very much for being with us. We should let you go back and finish your thesis. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Get right to work. (laughs) Get right to work. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 